So uh, it's been it's been a, it's been a week for you. It's been a few weeks for us since the last time we were all together er, um, recording. But we're back again uh, today. Uh, unfortunately, uh, our colleague Alison Perdi cannot be with us today, but uh, we look forward to seeing her again in future in future installments. Uh, but I am Sean McCarthy, and I'm joined today by Tasha Smith and Sarah Ward. Um, and today we'll be talking about an interview that the, that the three of us uh, took part in uh, about a month uh, before you know we're recording today. Um, it'll be a little bit more like a couple of months by the time you're watching this uh, with Mr. Steve Heckbert uh, of East Point. Uh, so in the uh, out toward Miramichi Bay, uh, he he called us and asked us to go and have a look uh, at some beads some porcelain beads that he found uh, on his property when he was demolishing uh, an old cabin and building his new cabin. Uh, and uh, yeah, and, and again, that, that he, uh, through a contact with the New Brunswick Museum, had dated uh, to the, the 1700s or somewhere in that, in that area. Um, so, so yeah, so, uh, it was, a, it was a very interesting conversation uh, that we had. And like I say, we'll be talking to you about that uh, today. So um, Steve spends parts of his time, uh, most, most of his summers here in the Miramichi, but spends a lot of his time out west in Alberta. Uh, and I had first heard of this story uh, probably about five years ago. Uh, he had kind of approached me about uh, the... Uh, about again, kind of doing a, a, a historical play a, about uh, about the finding of these beads, the losing of these beads, it's, and uh, all that had kind of gone on uh, beforehand, afterward, and in between. Um, and uh, yeah, but I, but the issue kind of laid dormant, uh, probably not long after that. He had kind of sent me a script and then and so on and so forth, but. Um, yeah, but when when this project became something that we were uh, we were all a part of, and something that was kind of looking at maybe lesser known uh, stories in the region, um, this seemed like a pretty good fit. Uh, and so, yeah, so we were able to kind of set up a meeting with him in mid September. Um, so um, he he brought out, uh, I, I guess, what did he say? I think he had said that he found somewhere between sixty and eighty beads, uh, most of which had been, had been kind of broken. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so he showed them to, to us and, uh, yeah. So like I said, to kind of throw the, throw the floor open here and maybe, uh, put, put the, uh, the listeners out of, out of their misery from having to listen to me, um, alone. Uh, so Tasha, Sarah, what were your impressions when you first saw these articles that, uh, that Steve presented to us? Well, I found the color was quite fascinating uh, for being glass beads, the blue tint, especially when you held them up to the light as Steve had recommended us do. Uh, but a beautiful light blue color throughout it. Uh, another thing I really liked about it is when he laid them on the table, it still had dirt in some of the beads, like where you would put a string or a hide piece through it, right? Uh, um, do you happen to recall where the blue color came from? Wasn't it they were mining somewhere and there was some type of, was it a mineral 
like a powder substance that they gave to glass blowers in order to mix it I believe uh, so, to create yes. the blue tint. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. I think he had said that it was in Afghanistan uh, and right. that it had been originally used in pigment for paint, but then it was eventually given to the glass blowers in order to add. Yeah. Yeah. Because the abundance they had of that mm. said powder, it was, they had enough for the painters that way they were able to, give leftovers to the glass blowers right i now i'm that's coming back now <laughs> yeah the thing is that he said it was there originally from um italy the these were like mm, i guess uh, when they did the research it was they, uh, they they traced it back to italy and that's where they used to have those uh blow glass shops at the time in the 18 the 1700s and i guess it was used to be some kind of uh currency or something in trade too and they when they did trade and they, they had some kind of it kind of reminded me right. of the Wampum Belt, but, yeah, because they said like it, it documented some things back then and how they traded and was used as currency. Did Steve mention that it was uh three beads for 30 beaver pelts? Yeah, something or, like that. Did yeah. I mix that up with something else we had discussed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a there was a ratio of pelts to beads, uh. And I, and, I, and I believe three was um, three was um, for yeah for a for for a spring beaver. I think it was you know three beads for for a for a spring beaver something on something in that vein. Yes, you're correct. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. And he believed again that the, the John Murdoch um, had been granted that area of land sometime in the in the late 1700s uh, and had been involved in in trade for some time and felt that yeah that he probably used the the beads for that purpose no i just thinking i said i hear the name murdoch but i never really um looked at john murdoch to be one of the person that uh was kind of a figure on the memory like you know when, when you when you live in memory you hear the last name murdoch so he kind of puts, uh, I guess, a picture to Mamashi, like mm -hmm. we talked about Mamashi linkage. Like it's kind of like, a, okay, there's some foundations here of the Murdochs, you know. So when you look at them beads and how he talked about his house and how he found it, and then you look it back, and then the link goes back to uh, Europe, to Italy, and then established there, and then where Mr. Hackett built a, was building a house there when he dug it out. You know, discovered it. So it's, it's kind of interesting how things are connected here. Right. How far those connections can reach when you start yeah. talking to a few people about different items. <laughs> mm -hmm. No question about it. Oh, um, and I was saying before about uh, the question that Steve had mentioned was like, how did the beads get in the ground? where he had found them and how did they you know stay there and get preserved so nicely for so many years it just kind of like mm -hmm. mind boggles a little bit but it's so amazing because <laughs> like when you were yeah. touching them too to think that they were that old i just, just they look a little fragile yeah like when you're the feeling the texture of them now i wonder what they felt like when they were first made I wonder if there's been replications of it since then. Maybe we should do a little bit more research in Italy at that time. <laughs> we got to take a trip to Italy now, Sean. 
Yeah. <laughs> for the project. Yeah. For the project. Exactly. Exactly. That's it. Yeah. That's it. I'm not yeah. sure if that's in the budget or not, but. <laughs> but he was kind of curious how he got there, though, right? When he's when he's talking about it. He said, how, how did he get here? Like, you know, he's trying to figure out because he said it was the French explorers that came to Canada first compared to the, the Italians. And the Italian was more down the south and then in the United States. So he was uh, that kind of curious. He was trying to figure out how these beats were from Italy, but it landed on the Miramichi. I think that's one that I think there's still his question that I'm still trying to research that. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think I think that's telling me something that you know, uh, as as Miramichiers, uh we don't really understand all all that well are, are the trade networks you know that existed you know um, in you know in in kind of the the settler period and even and we don't even and we certainly don't understand you know what I mean in the pre-settler in in, in the Mi'kmaq period you know the, the extent of the trade that was going on you know uh, here or throughout throughout history I mean today you know and I think probably for the last you know hundred years or maybe hundred fifty years you know we can we might understand like in terms of timber and other things things uh, and other goods but I don't think we we really have a, a full grasp of um, how far you know Miramichi trade went, you know, in, in in those earlier times, and I think when you know when we do think about it, we often think of love, you know, like okay, Great Britain or France or you know, what I mean, we we've got a very narrow view of of where that trade uh, was happening, and I think stories like this and many others, you know, help us to really understand how broad uh, those networks uh, have been and maybe could be again. Mm-hmm. Because me, uh, it also has me thinking of how the challenges they faced through communication in order to trade and understand each other for what they were trying to trade, like what yeah. they were trading for. <clears throat> I wonder how long it took for them, the patience, and which would show the dedicationness to uh, communicate and create a connection. So that's how a connection was built on the frustrations of not understanding and then the journey of to begin to understand one another and to an extent, I, I suppose. <laughs> sure. Mm-hmm. No, I just thinking that it could be that maybe the beast was traded back in Europe by the French or the English and it would have been brought by them too. It could not, could not be necessarily by an Italian person either. Like, you know, That's I'm just true. thinking like they, they have their own exchange, they have their own currency back in Europe. So maybe whatever was traded was there, made it to the Miramichi. Yes, that's, that's also true. Um, yeah, there's certainly, there's certainly a lot of, <laughs> there's certainly a lot of inter, inter-European trade going on uh, <laughs> yeah. in those years as, as well, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Reaching the fingers as far as they could go for trade. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sarah, can you recall, um, I know I'm kind of putting you on a spot here because I was just kind of going through my head too of any of the research you've done over the years of where the, I know the glass beads could be used as like for jewelry and such, but was there any other uses for the Mi'kmaq people in order to get these glass beads from your knowledge at this moment? 
Uh, not at this moment, but all I know is uh, the glass beads are are, okay. are adopted. Um, it was a, a European, uh, was brought by the Europeans, right, the glass bead, and then later on it got manufactured here. But uh, I think the beads that the Native people use were naturally, like, you know, things from uh, shells or uh, things from maybe trees or right. animal hides or something like that. But the the glass, I believe, is a foreign uh, foreign uh, craft that, that that was inherited by the, the not only the Mi'kmaqs but the different nations across North America and South America. So these glass bees were introduced to them as something new, and then it started to spread throughout the different indigenous mm-hmm. yep. nations and across I, North America. A lot of it has to do with the colors. I think the colors attract Native people because. Um, we celebrate things in color, right? We like color as Native people. And it began, we had uh, different significant meanings or different symbols. So that's how it became part of our our culture, I guess. Just like horse, right? The horse was introduced to North America, and then it became an, an animal that we all use. So it became a sacred being that we... we uh, that provides for us, you know, in different different ways. Same with the um, even things change as far as the the, the watercrafts, right? Like the canoe, the kayaks. They were made out of different uh, wood or animal hide, and then later on, different textiles came from the European country, and then they started building different ships and different different pattern of things and different competitive. Markets, but I think there's when 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 they, when they said about the, the the beast that we looked at and then the currency and I was just thinking and the history that it, that it tells like you know that beast could talk probably would tell us a lot of stories, and then where that where that beast traveled to, mm. and it's very similar to uh, the Wampum Belt, like you know, Wampum Belts were used to document histories. Um, it uh, identified certain historical happenings in our culture or. Uh, the rules that people made or things that they agreed on. And it takes certain people to interpret. And that's the same thing with those beads. It takes a, a person to uh, read and understand what those beads meant. You know, it's almost like reading Braille. <laughs> you know, if you don't know how to read Braille, somebody knows how to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. You know how to do that. And I think this Absolutely. That makes yeah. cool. Yeah. And that's the same with us. I think that's what it is. A lot of things, like even now, um, there's symbol th- things and symbols that we understand. Sometimes we can't really interpret, but we understand what they mean and how they speak to us. And it's probably the same thing with those beats. Something new, learning about something new. Yes, because we have to innovate in order to <clears throat> in order to survive. We have to grow with our surroundings. That makes sense. I'm just wondering that pouch he had it. I wonder if he found it in that pouch. Or he made that pouch to put the, the, the beads in. I don't know if the beads were scattered all over the ground. I think I he made it. I think he had said that they were found, that, yeah, they were kind of found loose. Okay. I guess that would explain the dirt inside the beads when we were mm-hmm. picking some of them up. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Like in the hole <laughs> of the bead. Yeah, he was generous enough to donate it to different organizations. So looking at somebody would just say, this he is did. what I found. Quite a few. But, yeah. I think he donated some to the Bulberries mm-hmm. Island, too. Yep. Hi, Tash. I see you now. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yeah, I think I think to, to, to Bo Bears and to the the, the, the history museum in, in, in Chatham as well. Um, mm-hmm. I know in his research he also talked about that the Murdochs. Um, I think it might have been uh, Father Benedict Murdoch who wrote about uh, who was to lived a great deal of his life kind of in Barty Bogue in that kind of area um, across the river. Uh, had written about kind of the loss of like family valuables. Uh, and he thought that maybe this was, that this is what those, you know, the, the beads were that they, you know, that again, that they had been buried and forgotten about and nobody quite knew where to find them anymore. Um, and that the family had at one time attached a great deal of value uh, to them Um which again, I think, kind of, you know, is interesting to kind of consider. Uh, it's a different, it's a different kind of, uh, yeah, it's a different, different system of values, different worldview than what we're familiar with uh, today. I mean, these were not, you know, they weren't uh, gold or silver or precious metals or you know, or, or or things of this nature. You know, they were, yeah, the these were beads that were that, that were very uh, instrumental to the way that trade was conducted you know, by the Murdochs uh, in those years. I wonder if there's more on the Mamashi somewhere by different families. Um, please, one thing I do remember is um, I'm very glad Sarah reminded me to grab my sweater before I got out for the interview because how windy it was. <laughs> so beautiful there, though, but I forget how windy it can be along the coast. <laughs> yeah. I guess we get yeah, an actual sure, little treat sure. after the after visiting the beach. We got a little bit of treat and we went down the beach. We took a walk, and Natasha picked some sweet grass <laughs> and some sage. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I still have it hanging around my house, drawing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a nice day, anyway. Hmm. Absolutely beautiful day for it. So again. Um... This was this was certainly a, a you know uh, a very interesting opportunity for us to kind of uh, kind of not only hear about the past but really kind of you know see it and kind of touch it in a very tangible way, which you know to date we've only we haven't always been afforded you know the opportunity to do. Um, so I think we're very grateful um, for those opportunities, and we look forward to you know a few more. Maybe many more, you know what I mean, in 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 the course of uh, this project going forward. So, as we uh, any other any other any other notes on this experience? My headphone falls out of my ear. Um, um, before <laughs> before we uh, before we draw to a close. All I know is I have a lot of questions still about this interview because it was a very uh, intriguing one. Um, I would like to continue learning and reaching out as much as we can to find out more about these East Point beads and how they did get there. Uh, if anyone else has any information or if this triggers any memories for any of our listeners out there, uh, for stories that were told to them perhaps or research that they came across, I know, I, speaking for myself, I would love to hear any mm-hmm. of these connections. I'm sure the rest of the team would love to hear as well as we all had a lot of questions for Steve and they were the same that that Steve has been having apparently. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The whys and whens. <laughs> hmm. 
And Steve was very hospitable, which is very, 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 uh, very kind of welcome. Mm. And, and, uh, Absolutely. It, it was, uh, he provided us a, a good, good day. <laughs> it was, yeah. yeah. Especially loved it when Steve and Joe uh, continued their conversation. They had a lot of information coming out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I thought I, I thought Joe stole the, the the spot from Steve, and I'm thinking like, cut it out, cut it out. <laughs> you guys are all in treat, so I just sat back and listened. We'll have to bring Joe and Steve on for a talk sometime. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably a very good idea. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So perhaps a follow-up to this episode in the future, uh, you know, yeah, to, to maybe kind of uh, get their perspectives on on this meeting as well. Um, yeah, no, that's it, that's it. And to, to to echo Tasha's sentiment, she does not speak for herself. She certainly speaks for all of us. And, you know, if you have any information <laughs> on any of this, uh, yeah. you know. Uh, the but uh, we'd be we'd be very interested in hearing all about it. If you have any, if you have information mm-hmm. on some other thing that's also really interesting, we'd also like to hear about that too. Um, so so that's it. Um, this has been a real this has been a real uh, learning journey for all of us. And again, um, I speak for myself, but I think I speak for for all of us in saying that I don't think we would have it any other way. Uh, Mm-hmm. You know, this is it, it. It's been it's been uh, it, it's been great fun, and I think that sometimes you know uh, we don't often think about research and fun kind of existing in the same you know project, let alone sometimes in the same universe. Um, but <laughs> but here we are, and uh, mm-hmm. that's it. So it, it's it's it, it's really been great. So thanks very much to Steve uh, for for allowing us into uh into his his home uh thanks very much uh to joe for 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 joining us on that day and you know sharing his perspectives and um his wisdom with us as well uh and really kind of uh complimenting what was uh i guess as both of my colleagues have said a really great a really great day and a really great afternoon uh, so great, in fact, that I had to get to a wedding, uh, but a, a, I only had about a half an hour to get there, so I, I had to leave pretty quickly. <laughs> I almost missed my cousin's wedding. It was so good. It was so good. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't miss it. Oh. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, so... Um, any any closing thoughts now as we're as we're entering the last few minutes of of this episode uh, before we before we wrap up? I think Steve was an interesting person. That, um, mm-hmm. Besides I besides the beats, yeah. Besides the beats, he has some other, I guess, uh, contribution that he can make to the the research because he has other jobs and other experience that he that he has that he shared with us. I think that, that was a, a good input of him and uh, that what he shared with us was good mm. and when, he, when he's ready to share some of those stuff and then maybe be good like you said to get him on the the air and have him share his his thoughts absolutely I agree uh, as we all know uh, we all have a place in a story and in turn we all have a story to tell so this is true so uniting both of those things together I know that um Steve was really active in the Membership Folk Sound Festival and just recently uh, gave a very stirring rendition of Guy Reed, a uh, very uh, quite long uh, and fabled folk song that his uh, 
longtime friend and perhaps mentor, Pearly Hare, you know, kind of passed on to him when he, when Pearly when Pearly passed away. Um, and speaking of kind of folk songs and, and, and stories to tell and stories, you know, the, of which we are a part, next week we will be back talking about oral histories and uh, legends and folklore and things of this nature here in the first of what will prove to be a two-part um, uh, podcast episode series, whatever, um, on on all of that. So we look forward to seeing you um, at that time. And uh, yeah, and certainly thank you for spending some time uh, with us. Um, I can't think of a really interesting and engaging um, closing for this. Um, that's it. Uh, yeah, I'm really kind of drawing a blank here. Um, but yeah, you, yeah. All right. Well, I think we'll just I think we'll just leave it there and uh, and uh, put me out of my misery. Uh, and uh, like I say, we'll see you yeah. next week. Take care. Mm -hmm.